Welcome to Wild and Weird. I'm Jenna. And I'm Audrey. Audrey, I love to hear how your week is going. Is anything new in your life? I don't have anything too new. I will say, as of right now, we are recording episode 10, which yeah. officially puts us in double digits for episodes. That is exciting. Which is kind of exciting. It's also a little depressing that if we would have started this when we originally wanted to, we'd be in like episode 62 or something. Okay, I don't think we've told them that we were going to start a year before we actually did. Isn't that funny? Yeah, we were going to start a year ago and then life happened and then we didn't start and then she hounded me mm-hmm. and we did it again. <laughs> you know how two weeks ago we were talking about our New Year's resolutions and mine was like, do more things that you want to do? I was thinking about it and the podcast is such a depiction of that. I was like, this is something that we have wanted to do and we have talked about. And so it, I feel like is the most true to just like pursuing things that we care about and are interested in. Good. So Um, I'm glad that we are doing it. I hope you are too. (laughs) And it kind of touches on my New Year's resolution of trying to just do a little bit better. Yeah. And I feel like... If we would have done it before, I don't know if it would have been as good as we wanted it to be. Yeah, I think that's totally valid. And trying to start this a second time around felt so much more doable because we had learned so much from thinking it through the first time, you know? Yes. I do think that it made it more feasible. But what's funny is that my notes from today, I actually started over a year ago. Really? Yeah, I started them. And I mean, I thought that I had them mostly done. And then I opened them and I was like, oh, I wrote like one page about this. But it is one of my favorite stories. I have no clue what you're doing. It is not a murder. So I feel like I can say that I'm excited. I think it's disturbing. I think it's creepy. And I just am really curious to hear your thoughts on it. Today, I'm covering The Watcher House. I don't know that. Okay. So I've heard of it, but I don't know the story. I know it's kind of timely because there's a show that came out, which I also heard wasn't the most fantastic. I haven't seen it, so I can't speak on that. Right. I haven't seen it either because so there's a movie about this, but then there's also the like series over it and neither of them are the true story. Okay. I think that this is one of those things where reality is stranger than fiction. Like, I think the true story is better than whatever fiction they created in these shows and movies about it. Okay, so I have an inkling of what this is. Like, I've heard of it. Um, I also know that I have, like, saturated my brain with so much of this stuff that, like, they all mean the same thing to me at a certain Mm -hmm. point. But I'm thinking if I have it right, it's, like, where there's letters from, like, the Watcher Mm -hmm. basically trying to get them to leave the house. Yeah, essentially. If you, like, summarized it in the shortest way possible, that is kind of the vibe. But I don't even know if trying to get them to leave the house is the way that I would put it. Well, I summarized it. The story doesn't need to be told. We're done. Okay. Thanks, guys. Hope you have a good week. (laughs) Bye, guys. It's been great to have you here. (laughs) Say wild. Say weird. Rude. Audrey just just ruined my stories. (laughs) Oh, man. I I know that I'm wrong on, like, my overall, like, perception of it. I just also am assuming that 
it's the story that has letters written to them. Yeah, there are letters involved. That is true. There also is a lot more information about this case than I expected. So the main source for this story is a really amazing article. It's like 20-something pages long. It is by Reeves Weidman, published in 2018 by The Cut. It is so in-depth, so interesting. It honestly reads like a novel, so I highly recommend looking at it if you're interested in this case. It was my primary source. I have a couple of other like really minor sources, but it was super helpful. So a lot, a lot, a lot of my information is from there. My research ended up being like kind of long, but it wasn't quite enough for two episodes. So I'm just doing this in one episode. Audrey, we're going to New Jersey. Um, I love New Jersey. We touched on New Jersey my last episode when we went nice. on our Real Housewives tangent. Yeah, big so, fan. let's go engage 19 times. So we are in Westfield, New Jersey. This is a town that's like 45 minutes outside of New York. And what's kind of interesting is that this is a very wealthy family kind of a city. It's not really singles living there. It's like where you go to raise your kids, but only if you're rich. It is ranked number 99 on the list of richest cities in America. And it's ranked as one of the safest cities in New Jersey. So not the kind of place you're expecting anything to happen, you know? Yeah. So in June of 2014... Derek and Maria Broadus are a husband and wife, and they recently closed on a six-bedroom house that is at 657 Boulevard in Westfield, New Jersey. This house was built in 1905, so it's really old. It's over 100 years old. And when they bought it in 2014, it was valued at $1.3 million. I'm sorry, but 2014 is like so recent. Right? Honestly, I am so skewed because I feel like anything in the 2000s is recent which is kind of a problem because i'm old (laughs) i even think like the 90s is recent and i know that that's like 30 years ago right it's so strange so they bought this house that is on boulevard street and this is one of the streets that has the oldest and most desirable homes in town so it's kind of thought to be like the place to live if you're going to be in westfield and it's the kind of area that everyone wanted to live at. In a lot of ways, buying this house was really fulfilling Derek and Maria's dreams. Maria grew up in Westfield and the house that they had purchased was actually just a few blocks away from her parents' house. And Derek had also grown up in the Northeast. He grew up in Maine, but his family hadn't been very well off. So he'd worked really hard and worked his way up the ladder in an insurance company. And ultimately, he became the senior vice president. So this is really what helped them to afford this dream home, which again was $1.3 million in 2014. Yeah. Was it kind of like they finally got the status they were looking for? Yeah, and I think that a lot of it, more than the status, is that since Maria had grown up there, she wanted to go back home. So, like, being able to live near a family and reach this goal of affording this really great community was a really positive thing for them. They had worked for this. This is their dream. And part of the reason why they were so excited to live in this family-friendly city is because they had three children. 
Their ages were 5, 8, and 10, and they were already debating which of the house's fireplaces Santa Claus would use. So, like, very sweet, innocent, wholesome children who are so excited about their new home and, like, new adventure. That's fancy, fancy with multiple fireplaces. Right? Fancy, fancy. Now, once they gained ownership of the house, they immediately went to work doing some renovations. It was built in 1905, so it makes sense that there might need to be some updates, and there also might just be some preference changes. So they were working on painting the house, and late one evening, three days after they had closed on the house, so super recent after they bought it, Derek had been at the house, and he was painting it by himself, and after 10 p.m., he finished painting for the night, and he went to check the mail. Now, of course, they had just moved in, so there wasn't a lot of mail there yet because, you know, they're not getting much sent to the house since they don't live there yet. There were a couple of bills and a card-shaped envelope that was addressed to the new owner. So like it was addressed to quote the new owner not addressed to the family? Yes quote the new owner was the address. Now inside of this envelope there was a typed note which started out nice enough. It said dearest new neighbors at 657 Boulevard allow me to welcome you to the neighborhood. But then the letter took a turn. It continued, How did you end up here? Did 657 Boulevard call to you with its force within? 657 Boulevard has been the subject of my family for decades now. And as it approaches its 110th birthday, I've been put in charge of watching and waiting for its second coming. My grandfather watched the house in the 1920s, and my father watched the house in the 1960s. It is now my time. Do you know the history of the house? Do you know what lies within the walls of 657 Boulevard? Why are you here? I will find out. That is so creepy. Right? And there's more. The letter continued and it talked about the Brodises. It specifically mentioned their Honda minivan and it talked about seeing the workers renovating the home, which reminder, they've only owned the home for three days. So yeah, it's not like this has been going on for a long time for anyone to see. Now, another quote from the letter was, I see already that you have flooded 657 Boulevard with contractors so that you can destroy the house as it was supposed to be. Tisk, tisk, tisk. I hate that. I know I hate like typed out tisk. Gross. Yeah. Bad move. You don't want to make 657 Boulevard unhappy. The letter writer had also noticed that Derek and Maria had children. It said, you have children. I have seen them. So far, I think there are three that I have counted. And then they asked if there were more on the way, which is weird. That is so creepy and also like intrusive. Yeah, so intrusive. It also continued, do you need to fill the house with young blood I requested? Better for me. Was your old house too small for the growing family or was it greed to bring me your children? Once I know their names, I will call upon them and draw them to me. The envelope had no return address, and that of course leads us to question who the writer is, but they also talked about that in the letter. In that portion of the letter, they said, Who am I? There are hundreds and hundreds of cars that drive by 657 Boulevard each day. Maybe I am one. Look at the windows you can see from 657 Boulevard. Maybe I am in one. Look out any of the many windows in 657 Boulevard at all of the people who stroll by each day. Maybe I am one. 
and the letter ended and was signed in the creepiest way too. It said, Welcome, my friends. Welcome. Let the party begin. Followed by a signature in cursive, The Watcher. Um, what the heck? I'm sorry, but I'd be like calling my realtor like, bitch, get me out of here. I know. What the heck? Also, I have a few things from that story. One, don't bring up the children. That's creepy. Okay, yes. And calling them young blood is weird as shit. It also makes it seem like the watcher has a aura or like something that would call the children to him. It's almost like, like otherworldly. Yes. Yes. And the reference of the house's second coming feels supernatural too. Yes. Me. It's like the house is alive in and of itself. And then my other thing was, so his grandfather yeah. watched the house in the 20s and his father watched the house in the 60s and they're watching the house now in the 2010s. Yeah. So what happened between the 20s and the 60s, like those 30, 40 years, was there nothing? And then the 60s to the 2000s, was there nothing? Oh. Like, or was that just the times question. that the house got... Like, turned over hands? Yeah, does it have, like, a time of coming? And it has yeah, to be Yeah, that's so weird. And it would make more sense if it was the 20s, the 60s, and the 2000s. So it's, like, every 40 years. But it's not. Were the previous owners, like, still alive? Yes, they were. Could they ask them about it? They do. That comes up in a little bit. But they do actually talk to the previous owners, which I'm glad that they did because, obviously, that's my first thought, too. So, obviously, that letter was super freaking creepy. And if you put yourself in Derek's shoes, like, it's nighttime. And he's been painting his house and is by himself, which is also creepy. By himself and also the father of multiple children who were brought up in this story. Yes, it's so scary. Also, he just was at the highest high of buying his dream home and, like, finally reaching his goals and being able to give his family this life. And then this happens. Half of me wants to say burn the house down. And then the other half of me is, like, just move out today. But regardless, it's a nightmare. So Derek ran back into the house and turned off all of the lights so that no one could see in. And he called the police department. Fortunately, an officer was dispatched to the house and... And Derek showed the officer the letter. When the officer looked at the letter, his response was, what the fuck is this? And that is a direct quote. Oh my god, I was taking a drink when you said that and I almost spit it out. (laughs) I really enjoyed watching you in the video camera do that. That was high quality. Were they actively living in the house at this point? I know they closed just days before. No, so they wanted to do renovations that were kind of extensive. That would take a few months before they moved in. And so they were kind of doing that like live in one place but then go work on the house during the day kind of a thing before moving into the house. So the police asked Derek some of the most standard questions. Naturally, he wondered if Derek had any enemies. And after this conversation with the police, Derek hurried back to their old home, which was also in Westfield. And he wanted to be with his wife and kids and obviously make sure that everyone was safe. That night, Derek and Maria emailed John and Andrea Woods, who were the previous owners of 657 Boulevard. They asked if they had any idea who the Watcher was or why they had contacted the Broadduses, especially because the Watcher had stated in their letter, I asked the Woods to bring me young blood, and it looks like they listened. So gross. Right? 
The Woods replied to their email the next day and said that they actually had received a letter from the watcher a few days before they moved out. And prior to that, they hadn't had any letters in their previous 23 years in the house. Now, the Woods said that the note that they received was kind of similar. It did talk about the Watcher and their family keeping an eye on the house for decades, but they also had thrown away the letter without much thought because it didn't seem very threatening. It just kind of seemed like, hey, we've been keeping an eye on the house for a long time. They kind of thought that it was like junk mail or someone just messing with them. That day, the Woods went with Maria to the police station where they were instructed not to tell anyone about the letters, especially their new neighbors who had now become suspects. Well, yeah. Right? Especially because the windows. Yeah. You could see us from the window. Look in each window. I might be in one of them. So, of course, after receiving this letter, Maria and Derek were highly concerned. Derek canceled his work trips so that he didn't have to leave the family alone, and any time that they visited the house, they kept an extra close eye on the children. When Derek gave a tour of the house to one of the couples on the block, he froze when the wife said, it'll be nice to have some young blood in the neighborhood. Mm. Which no. ended up just happening to be like a coincidence that she said it. But there were other odd events that also happened, such as a sign getting pulled out of their yard. But it would be two weeks before they heard from the watcher again. That day, Maria stopped by the house to check on some paint samples and also to pick up the mail. She immediately recognized the watcher's signature card and handwriting and called the police. Do you want to hear what the Watcher had to say this time? Yes, I have a quick question, though. Yeah. Was the letter addressed to the actual address of the home? Like, yes. it had to go through U.S. mail? It did go through the postal service. Okay. And the first time, it was just addressed to new homeowners. But this second time, things have evolved. So, this time, the Watcher addressed them as Mr. and Mrs. Broadus. This does indicate that in some way, there's some level of closeness or proximity for them to be able to tell who the actual owners are, to know them by name. The letter continues, Welcome again to your new home at 657 Boulevard. The workers have been busy, and I have been watching you unload carfuls of your personal belongings. The dumpster is a nice touch. Have they found what's in the walls yet? In time, they will. 657 Boulevard is anxious for you to move in. It has been years and years since the young blood ruled the hallways of the house. Have you found all of the secrets it holds yet? Will the young blood play in the basement, or are they too afraid to go down there alone? I would be very afraid if I were them. It is far away from the rest of the house. If you were upstairs, you would never hear them scream. No. Mm-hmm. Will they sleep in the attic? Or will you all sleep on the second floor? Who has the bedroom facing the street? I'll know as soon as you move in. It will help me to know who is in which room so I can plan better. All of the windows and doors in 657 Boulevard allow me to watch you and track you as you move through the house. Who am I? I am the Watcher, and have been in control of 657 Boulevard for the better part of two decades now. The Woods family turned it over to you. It was their time to move on, and kindly sold it when I asked them to. 
I passed by many times a day. 657 Boulevard is my job, my life, my obsession. And now you are too, Braddis family. Welcome to the product of your greed. Greed is what brought the past three families to 657 Boulevard, and now it has brought you to me. Have a happy moving day. You know I will be watching. Okay, I do not like that at all. I know. I also really don't like that they, like, are basically stating that they're watching and also that they're saying that they're coming by every day. Mm-hmm. It said multiple times a day. Well, and... It's so weird to me that the previous owners didn't have any issues like that. Okay, that's what I think is so strange. And the watcher keeps mentioning the wood. So it is kind of interesting that they didn't write letters to them. But they seem to be portraying like this closeness between them. So one thing that I thought was interesting about this letter is that they did address them by their last name this time. So Mr. and Mrs. Braddis. But what's weird is that the watcher misspelled their name so they're close enough to know what their name is but not how to spell it almost like possibly they heard the name but didn't see it yes which similarly they actually do mention the kids in the letter by their nickname so someone's clearly close enough to hear things which is really scary After receiving the letter, Derek and Maria weren't even sure if they wanted to live in the house anymore. They stopped bringing their kids to the house at all, and for a few weeks, they spent very little time at the house, which, of course, the watcher noticed. After a few weeks, another letter arrived, and this one asked where the family had gone and said that the house missed them. No, I don't like that. Burn it to the ground. Right? It's gross. It's gross. It's haunted, Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. not even by a ghost, by a person. Yeah. It's so freaky. Now, since Derek and Maria had only recently bought the house, one of the main theories on The Watcher is that there was someone who wanted to buy the house, but who had lost out to Derek and Maria. So, since the neighborhood is super popular, there were multiple offers on this home and several of them were over asking price. So it does seem like a really reasonable theory that someone would be like the jilted buyer. But when the police contacted the Woods and they actually investigated the offers that were put out for this home, they found that several of the offers didn't work out because the families had actually found a different home, which they ended up purchasing. And one of the buyers actually withdrew their offer because they had a bad health diagnosis. So there really wasn't anything backing this theory. Could it be that like it was someone that wanted the house but couldn't even afford to put in an offer? Ooh, that's a good point. I mean, maybe. I feel like it could be someone who has some kind of connection to the home. Like if they lived there previously, it does feel so personal Mm -hmm. to be this attached to like a random home. Yeah. It's so weird. But the previous owners of the house actually had their own theory. Because the letters kept hinting at the watcher keeping an eye on the house, they thought that it might actually be someone in the neighborhood. And this theory did have some strengths. The letters were processed by the Postal Service, and they were processed in northern New Jersey, which is a broad area, but that is the area where letters from Westfield would be processed. Also, the first letter was postmarked June 4th, which is actually before the sale of the house was made public. Uh, that's creepy. Right? Especially because the previous owner, The Woods, 
never put a for sale sign in the yard. So this was not like yeah. a, oh, there's a for sale sign and now it says sold, so I'm going to send the letter. This is a really wealthy area where probably for sale signs are tacky or something, so they never even had it in the yard. So for someone to know that information before it's even public knowledge, they must have some level of closeness to the purchase. Also, one of the more recent letters mentioned specifically an art easel on the porch and this is really interesting because the porch where this easel is is actually really difficult to see because of vegetation and so you basically have to be directly behind the house or right next door to the house in order to see it so when you do the math there's only a few houses or potential vantage points that someone could have seen this easel i really don't like that so this ultimately makes the neighbor theory kind of plausible yeah so, with all of this in mind, Maria and Derek went to the neighborhood barbecue, and part of the reason they wanted to go is because, of course, they could kind of scope out the neighbors and see if there were any real solid suspects. Now, a quick reminder, the police had told them not to mention the watcher or the letters to anyone, so the neighbors are completely in the dark about the letters. And this must have been a really scary situation to be in because you're basically going to a party full of suspects that like one of them is threatening you, which is kind of a nightmare. But it also was their best opportunity at learning who the watcher was. So they tried to learn about their new neighbors and Derek soon found out that their next door neighbor had several adult children living with them. These children were in their 60s, which is kind of an interesting age to live with your parents. I'm sorry, what? I was thinking like 25. Right, that's why I mentioned it because I, I thought it was a little unconventional and for them to have several of their children living with them, not just one. But one of these kids was described as more of a recluse. So with that in mind and the fact that their house is right next to the Watcher house, they would have a lot of access to information that the Watcher had. So the police brought in this recluse neighbor for questioning, but the suspect immediately denied any knowledge of the letters since there really wasn't any evidence connecting them to the letters apart from proximity. The police couldn't do anything without a confession. So this of course was not good enough for Derek and Maria. So they began their own investigation. And I think it's safe to say Derek was pretty obsessed. He installed webcams at the house, and he also would go to the house at night and hide in the dark house to see if he could catch anyone watching the house. So he's just like sitting inside in the dark, being his own reverse watcher. So, but if the watcher is watching so closely, then they could see him do that. Yeah, accurate. They also hired a private investigator, and they even reached out to a couple of former FBI agents to get involved in the case. And one of these former FBI agents analyzed the letter, and they found indicators that it had been written by someone who was older. Now, some of the indicators were things like the fact that they had addressed the letter Mr. and Mrs. Braddis, so like the formality of it. They also talk about the weather in very formal terminology, 
And that's thought to be kind of an older generation type of a narrative. The other thing they said is that there was double spacing between the sentences, which I guess is an indicator of an older writer, but I would like everyone to know that they taught me to do that in elementary school, and so I feel attacked. I'm sorry, but I think mom taught you that because she always did that, and I was never taught that by anyone but mom. Really? I distinctly remember in elementary school, we didn't even have the internet for the computers. You just like would get on and use Word or Paint, and I remember being told to do two spaces after. You also were taught by old people. Or I am old people. You are old people. Now, they also said that the writer had a broad vocabulary, so they were probably someone who liked to read. And ultimately, these assessments pointed to someone that had a kind of erratic personality. Part of the reason that they thought this was because there were some typos in the letters, which seemed to be like really obvious typos. For instance, they would put a date and a day of the week that didn't match up. So, like, it might be a Tuesday, but they would write Wednesday. They also realized that the Watcher harbored some kind of hatred for the wealthy, and they also had some irritation about the new money and the renovations occurring in the house. So, the hatred for the money seems a little strange that it could be someone living in that neighborhood. Okay, yes. I do think that it does kind of align with potentially someone living with their parents. Because, like, maybe you're True. not financially well off enough to go live on your own. And if your parents are wealthy and you don't really like them that whole, like a whole lot and yeah. they are super wealthy, then that could make you have a bad taste about wealthy people. Potentially, but I don't know. It is like the way they talk about the house just to me is a little like nonsensical. I'm not going to understand it. So in one of the letters, they thought that they were really referencing their irritation about the renovations because the watcher said that the house was crying because of the renovations and that they had made it fancy and stole its history. So it also might be that they dislike the new money because they're changing like the history of the neighborhood. What I dislike is the personification of this home. <laughs> Audrey has found her own irritation and it is personification. Yeah, it sounds like the house is alive and I don't like that. No, I don't either. I'm spooked by the second coming comment. It's gross. It's like total monster house vibes. It is. It is. Yeah. It's a girl house. <laughs> That's my favorite line. <laughs> wow, I'm so glad you said that. Okay, with this insight, they thought that this recluse neighbor was still a good suspect after, like, doing all this personality typing from the letter. So, the police, Derek and Maria, hatched a plan. They were going to send a letter to these neighbors telling them that they were going to tear down the house in the hopes that the watcher would respond. But after the letter was sent, nothing happened. The neighbor maintained their innocence and follow-up interviews with this neighbor and also other family members really led to nothing. But even as all of these interviews happened, the letters kept coming. So they did a broader search of the neighborhood to try and consider any other suspects that might be the watcher. And this led to the discovery of two sex offenders living within blocks of the family. 
family. Which is kind of an interesting thought considering the fixation on young blood. Creepy. Gross. Don't like it. I don't either. One of the house painters also noticed something that was kind of strange. One of the neighbors had put out lawn chairs in their yard, but rather than facing their own house, the lawn chairs were facing Derek and Maria's house. And this painter actually saw that neighbor sit out in the lawn chairs as if they were watching the house. I think it would be weird to have them facing your house. Yeah, I am not as suspicious about that. I get if someone, like, if you took lawn chairs and set them next to your fence facing your neighbor's house, that's kind of weird. Yeah, but a lot of people will have, like, rocking chairs or something on their front porch. Yeah, and you're not facing your, like, your house. No, but it's not specifically facing, like, one home. It's, they're probably, like, catty corner to each other. Yeah. Where one's facing one way, one's facing, like, another way diagonal. You know? Yeah, I can see that. But obviously, anyone looking at the house is a concern at this point. Unfortunately, though, all of these clues really led to nothing. So, nearly six months later, Derek and Maria were told by the police that they had run out of options, and they just decided to call a priest to bless the house as a last hope. A few months later, they finished the renovations and installed an alarm system, but they just couldn't bring themselves to move in. They'd already sold their previous home, so they decided to move in with Maria's parents, who live in the same city. Now, the Watcher was still writing them letters, talking about how the house had become the Watcher's enemy, and almost talking about the house like it had some kind of power over them. They said, I am in charge of 657 Boulevard. It is not in charge of me. I will fend off bad things and wait for it to become good again. It will not punish me. I will rise again. I will be patient and wait for this to pass and you to bring the young blood back to me. 657 Boulevard needs young blood. It needs you. Come back. Don't like it. Definitely don't like it. The letters are so bad. It's also so weird that it's like, I'm in charge of it. It's not in charge of me. Someone has issues with authority. Yeah, I don't get it at all. Now, obviously, all of this had really affected Derek and Maria. They had been fighting more and dealing with more depression and trauma because of the letters, and they'd been seeing a therapist who actually told them that the trauma wasn't going to go away until they let go of the house. So, they decided that they wanted to sell 657 Boulevard. Initially, they listed it for more than they had paid to try and account for the cost of the renovations and improvements that they had done to the home. But because of the rumors surrounding the house, they got very few offers, and all of them were for under-asking. They also decided that they were going to share the letters from the watcher with any serious buyer. And this is a pretty controversial choice to make because obviously it's like not a selling point. They didn't have to disclose them, but they did want to because they didn't appreciate the position they were in. And so they didn't want to hand that off to someone else and put them in that same position. I can understand that and appreciate it. It's almost like they just need like a elderly couple to move in. Yeah. Yeah. Someone without young blood. Yeah. We would like old blood, please. They just wanted to be open with the next buyer, which I... Like, I do think is a good thing. So, they struggled to sell the house and eventually they filed a legal complaint against the previous owners because they hadn't disclosed the one watcher letter that they had received while they owned the house. And Derek and Maria were arguing that this should have been disclosed to them prior to purchasing the house. 
Now, what's kind of interesting is that this legal complaint is actually the reason why the story of the Watcher House broke. Up until now, it really wasn't much of a story because they'd been keeping it private. But a reporter found the legal complaint and saw the quotes from the letters and was like, this is some of the creepiest shit I've ever seen, wrote a story about it, and it went viral. So they like kind of got themselves viral because they wanted to file that complaint. Yeah, which in a way was kind of like shooting themselves in the foot because they actually hadn't told their children about the watcher letters. They just kept telling people they weren't moving in because of legal issues. So like half of their friends thought they were getting divorced or something because nobody really knew why they weren't moving in. And when the story went viral, they had to break it to their children. How old were their kids? They were still around 5, 8, and 10. I still wouldn't have told them. I know. Like, it's not like they have social media, I hope. But it is such a small community. They talked about one of the kids, like, someone commenting about it in their English class. Oh. One of their classmates told them, no matter what your family says, we will always believe that, like, we live in a safe community. Weird. Okay. Yeah, so I think maybe they told them because it was just, like, such a tight-knit community and they couldn't really get away from it. So, I don't know. Because the story went so viral, there were a lot of internet sleuths which got involved and they had a lot of different theories about the Watcher, which became more and more wild. Some people thought that it was a mistress. Other people thought that it was some kind of marketing strategy for like if they were going to try and spin a movie out of the story, which I mean there is a movie now, so there's that. But in the midst of all of this chaos, some real evidence came to light. The police had actually conducted a DNA analysis on one of the envelopes, and they found that the DNA belonged to a woman. That is not what I expected at all. Me either. This prompted the police to focus more on the creepy neighbor's sister, who actually worked as a real estate agent. So they theorized maybe she was upset that she didn't get to sell the neighbor's house and get the commission from it, so now she was retaliating. The police snuck a water bottle from her so that they could see if her DNA was a match, but it turned out that it wasn't a match, and all of the next-door neighbors were ruled out as suspects. So Derek and Maria were basically back at square one, They didn't have any suspects, so they decided to dive into the case again and analyze the handwriting and the language of the letters. Derek even wanted to get a hacker to break into the neighbor's Wi-Fi networks and try to find evidence in their digital documents, but that is illegal, and when he learned that it was, he didn't move forward. I feel like that's almost making them the issue. Yeah, I think that they were just at, like, such a high level of paranoia. I think he was, like, spinning out a little. Yeah, I can understand that. It just seems, like, so outrageous. Right? It's a lot. Another break in the case came from one of the neighbors who had actually also received a letter from the watcher. They received it before the story went viral, and the letter was much less threatening, more similar to the one that the Woods had received. They also had grown children, so it's not like there was young blood to be threatened. So since they didn't have any context for the letter, they just thought it was weird and threw it out. Then when this news broke, they came forward to tell the police about how they had also received a letter. But since they'd thrown it away a long time ago, there really still wasn't any evidence to go on. So it wasn't that helpful. Everyone's just throwing out these letters. I know. 
Don't get your mail. The evidence. Uh, yeah, don't throw it away. If it's something creepy like that, then maybe like... Keep it. Yeah, file it away under like weird shit from my neighbors. Yeah, if you get a strange letter, maybe hold on to it for a minute. Mm-hmm. So one night, an investigator was watching the house and a car stopped right in front of the home, which is obviously suspicious. They later learned that this car belonged to a young woman whose boyfriend actually lived on Boulevard Street. Also, this boyfriend seemed like a really interesting suspect because he played a lot of video games and was really into this one game which had a character named The Watcher. So they thought maybe the girlfriend had handled the letters and that was really what provided them the DNA that was female, but the boyfriend was the one who was writing them, potentially. With all of this in mind, the police called the boyfriend in for questioning and they did this twice, but he never showed up. And there also wasn't enough evidence to force him to come in. So they just had to drop it. Could you not just like show up at his house and be like, we have to talk? I have no idea how that works. I'm guessing you have to have like some kind of like reasonable justification for why you want to question someone. And I guess they just didn't have enough. That's so weird right? It's also suspicious that he never showed up. I know, I think that's sketchy. But there were other theories circulating about the letters. And one that became pretty prominent was that Derek and Maria may have sent the letters to themselves, that they were trying to get attention and potentially rights to a movie or maybe insurance fraud by sending these letters. Now, considering that there is a movie and a Netflix series about this situation, It doesn't seem like the craziest theory to have, but personally, I think it seems unlikely because it did have a lot of really serious consequences on the family, both financial as well as like mental health and safety consequences. And also, the police did test Maria's DNA, which was not a match to the sample on the letter. Do you know when like the Conjuring movies came out? No, I have no idea. I'd be curious if it was around the same time frame so that then they're like, well, obviously they're doing this because another movie came out similar, like telling a story about a house that had hauntings or a strange event. A super creepy house. That is interesting. It came out in 2013 and this happened in 2014. Okay. I mean, it is kind of an interesting theory. I don't think it has a ton of weight, but like just the dynamic of Maria and Derek writing the letters. But I do think that could be the motive of the watcher. Yes. I'm not saying that Derek and Maria were the ones that did it, but I'm thinking that maybe there was at least some type of inspiration from it. Yeah, yeah. That could be totally possible because it's creepy as can be. Yeah. And like the second rising of the home or whatever does feel like supernatural. So because of all of these rumors though, Maria and Derek had really become outcasts from the community and they actually considered moving. They only stayed because they didn't want to uproot their kids. Two years later, Derek and Maria bought a different house in Westfield and they also put 657 back on the market and they hosted a very popular open house which naturally if this happened in our area I would be going so I see why it was popular. 100% also they bought a 1.3 million dollar house and then bought another house. Yeah they were living with Maria's parents for the couple of years previously so that I'm sure that does help like 
they were only paying on one mortgage. But I mean, living with someone's parents would be hard. So they did end up getting another house. Okay. After this open house, they investigated a lot of the people who came to the open house and they tried to match any of the handwriting to the watcher's handwriting, but there really were no suspects and no matches. They did have several people that were interested in the house, but each time that they had someone seriously interested, they would show them the watcher letters and the buyer would back out, which me too. Yeah, I don't blame them. They then decided that maybe they could sell the lot of the house to a developer who would tear it down and put two homes in the lot, but this had to be approved by the community planning board, so they had to go and propose their idea and get approval for it. This proposal led to a four-hour discussion and a vote at almost midnight, and their proposal was rejected. Obviously, this was devastating for Derek and Maria, who were out hundreds of thousands of dollars in property taxes and also investigation fees and renovation fees. But fortunately, they did get some good news after this rejection. They had found renters for 657. The renters were not concerned about the watcher's letters, although there was a clause in their lease that they could break the contract if new letters arrived, which seems fair. Mm -hmm. I agree. Shortly after the renters moved in, a new letter arrived. This letter talked about watching the house. It taunted them, calling them idiots for not figuring out who the watcher was. They also referenced the times that Derek hid in the house looking for the watcher, talking about how they saw him with his binoculars and telescope. It also mentioned the renters in the house, and it was super threatening, discussing different kinds of revenge that the watcher might take, including a fire, a car accident, and also the death of pets. No. Yeah. Not pets. And not, like, harming other people because of this. No. So horrifying. And remarkably, the renter decided to stay. They didn't use uh, their uh. claws. Yeah. I was like, oh, you are bravery in action. So the renter decided to stay and their only compromise was that they wanted cameras installed at the house. So they did install cameras, but this left Derek and Maria feeling like they were back at square one. They took the letter to the police again and still didn't have much to go on, which ultimately they never really made much progress in the case. New renters moved into the house and out of the house, and this is so crazy, but the rent never even covered the mortgage. So the entire time that they've had this house, they're at a financial loss. And they renovated it, which I think is a fair argument for them not being the watcher because it just wouldn't be like a smart financial thing to do. Yeah, it's not like millions come immediately. No. Right. Well, and if you think about the series that was released this year, well, last year in 2022, and they bought the house in 2014. So it's just been such a long time. Derek and Maria were stuck with the house and there was a plan to rent it for a few years and try to let the story of the watcher be forgotten and then try to sell it again. But on Christmas Eve, several anonymous letters showed up to other people's houses. These letters were hand-delivered specifically to the people that had been most critical of Derek and Maria. These letters were threatening in their own way, talking about tarring and feathering them, and it was also not signed by the Watcher, but signed by friends of the Broadus family. But that makes it seem like the family is the one that sent those hand-delivered letters. Derek later admitted to writing the letters. <gasps> 
Yeah, which I think he legit was just spinning out. I think that he was dealing with like so much tension and trauma and being criticized, but also like yeah. someone might be attacking my children. Like I have to be concerned about that. But also from like a social perspective, my community is judging me. So like, how am I supposed to feel? How do I yeah. keep my family safe? I think he was just at his wit's end. He didn't even tell Maria about it, but he did oh, admit no. it to this journalist which is kind of crazy. So what's wild is they still don't know who the Watcher is. That's so crazy, especially because the Watcher is like, how can you not figure out who I am? I know they're taunting them, but it has never officially been solved. It's known to be female DNA. And in 2019, Derek and Maria did finally get to move forward because they were able to sell the Watcher house. They did sell it for a huge loss. They lost almost half a million dollars on just the sale not even like the yearly property taxes and renovations and everything they sold it for nine hundred and fifty nine thousand dollars but fortunately it was finally off of their back and i thought that the way that this article that was my main source ended the story was kind of interesting they ended the story with a quote from the watcher's fourth letter which said you are despised by the house and the watcher won what which it kind of does feel like they did yeah and it's continuing to personify the house yeah because they never moved in and now it's just like the creepy halloween house like don't go there don't walk by it at night i'm actually surprised that someone didn't buy it for more just because of the creepy eeriness okay i kind of thought the same thing but i feel like that happens with like haunted houses because you can investigate it but who knows if the watcher's staying or going true you have no idea what's happening because it's a person which is so weird. Just to shout out my source again, um, there was that really incredible article by Reeves Weidman at The Cut, which was super helpful. Jenna, that was so good. Like, I know I've heard the story before, but the way that you told it, like, it's so creepy. It's like, I'm so a little creepy. creeped out, right? Like, at home, I'm like, uh... That's don't really want to be home alone. It's one of those stories where when I heard about it, I was like, oh my gosh, this can't even be real. It sounds like a fictional story. And so yeah. I was excited to get the chance to tell it to you. So I'm glad that I got to do that. But I know it was kind of long. So I apologize if it was too long. No, it was really good though. Okay, well, at least it, it wasn't super depressing. Yeah, a little pick me up from the last few ones that we've had. Yeah, some variety. That is the Watcher House. Very cool. Thank you guys for listening. Yeah, we appreciate it. Great. We will see you on the next one. Yeah. Stay wild, stay weird. Okay, bye. Bye, guys. <laughs>